So we're going to jump right in. So for the last week, last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the fruits of the Spirit. And I have a verse, if you could throw that up there, from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23. We're just going to review that. So uh, for the last couple of weeks, it says, for, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So we already talked about love, joy, peace, and patience. And today is special. Since I'm preaching, we've got to talk about two fruits together. We're going to talk about kindness and goodness, because they always go together. So just to give you a little definition on what kindness and goodness is, is we have a slide up there for that. Kindness in the Bible, it comes from the Greek word called prestotes. Prestotes. And basically what kindness is, kindness means to have a tender concern for others. To have a tender concern for others. So it's an emotion that, that comes from your heart. You have a, a desire to want to treat other people the way that the Lord treats them. All right? So kindness is a heart thing. It comes from the heart. It's an emotion that you feel towards other people. Now the next word, goodness. Now the word goodness in the Bible comes from the word agathosune in Greek. And what that word means is benevolent or to be actively good. So while we have kindness, which means uh, you know, emotion from your heart to be concerned about others, goodness means to actively do something for someone with your hands, to, to, to be hands-on with someone, to do good for others. So we have kindness, which is an emotion from the heart, and we have goodness, which is an action that comes from your hands. Okay? Now, we... In the last few weeks, we've been talking about these fruits, and we said that the fruits were all like one fruit together. Maybe you remember Rob mentioned that. But, um, you know, some people say that the, the fruits of kindness and goodness, they're, they're like a dual fruit, because they have to go together. You can't separate the two. They always go together. It's like having your heart in your hands. They have to work together. You can't have your heart without showing it with your hands, and you can't just do something with your hands without having the emotion in your heart. So just to explain this, I'm going to give you just a quick illustration. So imagine for a moment we're all sitting here in church, and then in the, in the back corner there's a little kid standing there, and he's standing there like this. And then you go up to him, and, and you go up to him and be like, hey, what's wrong? Like, shouldn't you be in roots? Like, what's going on? Are you feeling okay? Or, you know, is something wrong? Like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, that kid goes, and just throws up all over the place. Projectile everywhere. Just, just a whole, you know, big mess. If, if you just so, showed kindness to that, no, sorry, if you just showed goodness to that kid without kindness, what, that, what would that look like? You would go up to that kid and be like, hey, I'm going to clean this up for you, but I can't believe you threw up. What's wrong with you? You know, how could you do this here? You know, it's the last time I'm going to do this. I'm, now I'm getting my hands all dirty. So, so that's what it would look like if you just showed goodness, if you just didn't act. If you just had kindness, what would that look like? You would go up to that kid and be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I feel so bad for you. I'm so concerned that, that you created this mess, but I'm not going to help you. Goodbye. I'll see you later. I'm not going to do anything. 
So you can't do that, right? They, they both have to work together. They're, they're both like one. Now, um, on a more serious note, I'm sure most of you have been watching the news lately, and you've seen about the, uh, have you guys heard about the Ebola outbreak that's going on right now? Um, it's a very severe situation in West Africa. Now, I'm sure Ebola happens, outbreaks happen all the time in Africa. We just don't hear it on the news. But for, uh, this is a larger scale outbreak and, and it's made Western news. And for some of you, you know, you know that Ebola is a very deadly disease, right? There's no cure for it. And it spreads really fast. And uh, there's, there's a missionary by the name of Dr. Kent Grantley. He's a missionary with Samaritan's Curse. It's a Christian belief and development organization. And uh, Dr. Kent Grantley, you know, he, out of the kindness of his heart, he felt compassion for all these people that were suffering there in Liberia, in West Africa, that he was overwhelmed with this concern that he decided to do an act of goodness and go there to help take care of them. Because if you think about it, who in their right mind would want to go and expose himself and take care of these people that, that are suffering? So, just like you know, the, the, the little kid that, that would have thrown up in the back or, or, or these people that are suffering from Ebola, for many of us, we expect, we all expect, even demand kindness and goodness from others. Right? We expect, you know, in the news they're saying like they were trying to, trying to evac, trying to uh, do a medical evacuation and get that doctor out, and then a lot of people here complaining, and they're like, oh no, don't bring him here. But if that was us, we'd be like, oh, get me on the first plane to America. I just need to get out of here right away. But for most of us, we we expect it and we demand it for ourselves. But at the same time, we often don't expect it or demand for others. We expect kindness and goodness for ourselves, but we don't always expect kindness and goodness for others. Now why is that? Well, the first thing is self-preservation. How many of you guys uh, played with wooden blocks when you were a kid? Like wooden blocks. I guess before they had Legos. You know, we, we just had blocks. Now they have Legos. But, but back in the day, uh, you would play with just regular wooden blocks, colored blocks. I think I have a, um, a graphic up there. So my nephews play with, uh, with these blocks, right? They're excited about them. And when they were young, they would play with them. And one of my nephews in particular, he would create these big elaborate castles with, with, uh, with these blocks. And, and it's so amazing. I'm like, wow, like, I don't know how you could do that without having, let, letting any of them fall down, like Jenga or something. And what he would do is, after he would make this castle, he would, like, guard it. He would, like, protect it. He wouldn't let any of his younger brothers and sister come near it because, uh, God forbid, they, they knock it down or blow on it or something happens. He was trying to preserve his castle and guard it. And the same thing happens for us with self-preservation. We want to preserve our own castles and our own kingdoms and our own peace and our own security. So we don't leave our, our, our little bubble unguarded and we say, you know what, I, I need to take care of myself first. So 
I don't have time to go out and show kindness and goodness for someone else out there. You know, I'm sorry to break it to you, but there's never going to be a time in life where we feel completely secure in our own castles, in our peace, in our security, in our, in our finances, or, or our to-do list. The other thing we do is sometimes we make judgments and we stereotype people. And, and we, we think people deserve something otherwise. And if someone was mean to us, we hold that against them for many years. We withhold showing kindness and goodness to that person. Maybe it's, it's, it's something different. Maybe we, we see a family and we're like, oh, this family is wealthy, they're privileged. Uh, they don't need my kindness. I don't need to go out, and, out of my way to show them kindness or goodness. Their life is fine. Oh, they have a, a good family, a good marriage. Their life is fine. I don't need to help them out. So what we do is we create this whole storyline. We identify a person, create this whole storyline around them, which doesn't exist. And sometimes we show kindness, but it's only when we have an ulterior motive or an agenda. You guys know what I'm talking about. The times where we're, we show kindness and goodness to someone else because we know that we're going to get it back from them at some point in the future. Maybe it's your boss or your coworker or someone else or a relative. And sometimes, unfortunately, because of our sinful nature, we're unsympathetic towards people. We let the emotions of anger and jealousy and hatred fill us and overwhelm us. Because of that, it prevents us from showing kindness and goodness to others. And sometimes we're just lazy. When we don't expect kindness and goodness for others, it destroys relationships. When we don't expect kindness and goodness for others, it destroys relationships. And when relationships are destroyed, community is destroyed. When community is destroyed, society is broken. That's much of what we see in our world today. See, God wants us to become His kindness and goodness. God wants us to become His kindness and goodness. So this morning, what we're going to look at is one of the most famous and most well-known parables about Jesus. And that's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this is from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. I'll read One day, an expert in religious law stood up to Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. 
by chance, a priest came along. And when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side of the road and passed by him. Okay? Then a temple assistant walked by. He walked over. And he also looked at him lying there. But he also passed on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and banished them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these would you say, these three would you say, was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed mercy to him. And Jesus said, yes, now go do the same. So this is a very familiar passage. I'm sure you've all read it many times, and your kids have read it many times or seen it in their, in their children's Bibles. So who are these characters in the story, right? Who are the characters? So first we have the priest, right? Now the priest, he's someone that's on the highest level of the Jewish society, okay? He's on the, the top ranks of society. And he would be ceremonially clean, and he would wear all these outfits that would make him look really holy and, the, and without sin and, and all of that. And what the role of the priest is, he just had one job. And the priest's job was to reconcile people to God. Reconcile people to God. To God. And the way he did that was through sacrifice, right? If you had a sin or if it was a certain ceremony, you would bring your little animal there, and then you put it on the altar, he would kill the animal, he would say, hey, you know, um, you know, the animal has taken all of your sins, and he has paid the penalty when you killed the animal. Now you can go free. Now you can be connected back to God again. So the priest, all he was supposed to do was to, he was supposed to reflect the character of God. That was his job. That was his full-time job. But what did he do? He saw the man, and he just walked away. He just walked across the street. So the priest showed no kindness and no goodness. All right? Then, who do we have next? We have the temple assistant, right? So we have the temple assistant who is a Levite. Now, the temple assistant was not at the level of the priest, but he was uh, a, a bit, little bit lower, but still a little high up there in the ranks. Now, the role of the temple assistant was to do all the administrative work, the Levites, to do the, all the administrative work. In the, uh, in the temple. So he would take care of the, some of the offerings, he would talk to people, he would manage the staff, he would pay the bills, he would do all that kind of stuff. So you would think that this guy who did the dirty work would go up to this guy and take him and say, hey, I'm going to help you out, I'll take you back, don't worry, I'll take you back to the temple, I have plenty of resources, we'll bandage you right up. But no. It says that he went over, so he actually went over and, and maybe actually took a look at him. And for whatever reason, the temple assistant, in his mind, he, he made a judgment about this guy and, or created a storyline and said, for whatever reason, he said, um, I don't need to help this guy. I'm going to walk across the street, 
and he didn't translate into that. So the priest didn't show kindness and didn't show goodness. And the temple assistant, maybe he, sh he had kindness in his heart. Maybe that's why he walked over. We don't know. But he definitely didn't show goodness either. But then we have the Samaritan. The Samaritan comes to the place. He's a hero. He comes over, and it says that he felt compassion. He felt compassion over this man. And he experienced kindness, concern for him. And he didn't just didn't experience kindness, but he acted out of goodness. What does it say? He soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine. Now a lot of you here are EMTs and, and in, the, in the medical field and, and all of that. You know, back in, if this guy was beaten up half dead, he had like blood coming out, you know, open wounds. He didn't have, they didn't have latex gloves or masks or, or anything to clean it up. He was just doing this with his bare hands. They didn't have alcohol swaps, but I guess they were smart enough to use wine because it had alcohol probably killed the bacteria. They, they, they knew about that. So he didn't have any of this stuff. And to have olive oil and wine, that, you know, olive oil and wine costs a lot of money now. You know, you can imagine how much it probably cost in those days, too. And then it says they, he put him on his donkey. He was half dead, so he was unconscious. This guy lifted him up, put him on his donkey, and which was his, his only mode of transportation. That was his ride. He put him on the donkey, and he had to walk himself. And then he took him to the inn, to the Holiday Inn, or Crown Plaza, or whatever. And then he paid for him. And then he said, hey, I'll, you know, I'll take care of you. And then he told the, the guy at the desk, hey, I'm going to leave you my credit card number. And if the bill goes higher, if he orders room service, if you need to you know, pay for whatever, you can just give me a call and, and we'll charge my credit card. Don't worry, I'll take care of it. You know, just to say that the Samaritan was a rich man, we don't know about how many resources he had. But I'm sure the resources he did have probably to pay for his mortgage, to pay for his car payment, to pay for his, his, his tuition. But he used that to help the Samaritan. The Samaritan also didn't worry about self-preservation. He went up to this stranger that he didn't know, and he took a risk. Maybe this guy was faking it the whole time. Maybe he, he was acting like he was dead and he was going to rob him. You know, we don't know. And what he did, maybe the Samaritan was late. Maybe he had to, to, to get back to watch Dancing with the Stars. Maybe he had to meet traffic on Route 17. I don't know. But, but whatever it is, it was a complex task. To help someone is not always easy. It's complex. You notice there's never a convenient time to help someone. When someone asks for help or when something happens, it's always at an inconvenient time. That's just the way that it is. It also says that the Samaritan was a despised man. What does that mean? So the people of Samaria, the Samaritans, they were actually a lower racial class, and a lower cultural class from the Jewish people. They still did believe in the Torah and the scriptures and all that, but at some point in history, their, his, their, their uh, histories had, had diverged, the people groups had diverged. So the Jewish people in those times looked down on them look down on them. So it's safe to assume that this Samaritan was probably a victim of discrimination at some point in his life. 
from the Jewish community. But it says that he didn't, he didn't reciprocate how he, was, how he was probably treated in Samaritan. And also, the Samaritan didn't assume that this man deserved it. The story doesn't go on saying that the, the, the Samaritan's thoughts saying like, oh, why is this guy you know, walking around at night? Why does he have all this money? He was asking for it. Maybe this guy just stole the money from someone else. He didn't, he didn't create this whole storyline about or try to rationalize. All he knew is that this person was in need and he went to go and help. The Samaritan also didn't have an ulterior motive. He wasn't expecting a reward. It doesn't say that he got anything in return for his kindness. Matthew chapter 25 verse 40 states, And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, who were doing it to me. The question I have for you today is who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Through his act of kindness and goodness, the Samaritan restored the relationship between him as a Samaritan and this Jewish man. He helped restore the relationship and not only made him his neighbor, but made him his family. When you become the kindness and goodness of God, you restore and heal relationships. When you become the kindness and goodness of God, you restore relationships. You show people who God is and his love for them. Be the kindness and goodness of God. You know, one of the reasons that a lot of times we don't display kindness and goodness to others is because maybe we haven't experienced God's kindness and goodness in our own lives. Or maybe we haven't been awakened the Bible says that Jesus himself became God's kindness and goodness. He loved us so much that he came to heal and restore us. He was the Samaritan that was actually beaten himself and died in our place. And through Jesus' kindness and through his goodness and his death, and resurrection in taking our place, he has reconciled us back to be in a relationship with God, restoring our relationship with him. What happens then is when we accept God's kindness and goodness through his grace and his forgiveness on the cross, his Holy Spirit fills us and we, we get these fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and our heart overflows with kindness and goodness for others. You know, I've talked to, to many Christians who have been in church all their lives, who've grown up in church and Sunday school and, and, and all these programs and, and all these things. But for whatever reason, they, they've lost their sense of passion and interest in their faith. Why is that? I talk to them and they say, 
you know what, I, I, I love God, I love others, but I don't know why, I'm just stuck, I don't know, I don't know what to do. And you know, for many years, Jody and myself were in that place, prior to coming to the plant. All that, that we were taught, all that, that, that we, we knew was that in order to grow in our faith, all we had to do is magic formula. We had to, to fill ourselves with Bible studies, go and hear different preachers, read as many books as we can, and continuously consume things to affect my, our relationship with God, to make us feel good about our connection with God. And then all, all we knew prior to coming to the plant and all that life was about is, hey, you go to church, and you join a Bible study, and then once in a while you do a service project. Now, now these are all good things. And these are things that I encourage everyone to do. But for us, we were doing these things, but there was something missing. There was some piece that was missing. We didn't feel like we were coming alive, actually living this life that Jesus had talked about, living in the fullness of excitement, of the adventure and the thrill of following Jesus. We didn't feel like we were doing it. We felt like we were just learning about it. It's kind of like having a car in a garage. We felt like we had this, this car, this garage. And all that we did, day in and day out, we would, we would wax the car, we would wash the car, we would change the oil, we would check the oil, we would add accessories, we would add new parts to it, we would buff it, we'd get it detailed, and we would do this again and again and again. All these things, all this maintenance, all these things to this car but we didn't actually know what to do with it. We had the car, but we didn't know what to do with it. We knew that we were designed for something. We were designed for a purpose, but we didn't know what that purpose was for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us new in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago so that we can do the good things that he has planned for us long ago. Earlier in the, in the parable, just before Jesus explains the parable to this man, the religious expert asks Jesus, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replies, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told me. Do this, and you will live. Do this, and you will live. When Jesus was talking about eternal life, it's not just about having a life after this life. Sure, we're, we're going to have one. But it's also to experience his life here on this earth. When we came to the plant, and joined a missional community, things started changing for us. We started to live for the first time. We started to, to not just learn about it, but we started to actually do these things that we learned about. We were taught step by step 
how to love our neighbors as ourselves, how to engage with community, how to love Jesus like he loved us. But you know, the best part about that was, was that we weren't doing it as individuals or just as a family. We were doing it together as a community. And that made all the difference. After coming to the planet, it felt like we were given a set of keys. Does anyone have their car keys on them? I could borrow? One for a second. Right. I'm going to take it out for a spin. <laughs> we felt like we were given a set of keys for the first time and driving lessons. What we did was we turned on the car and we started cruising. We started living this as a lifestyle, not just as a project or an event. We were finally able to do what we were designed to do, to become God's kindness and goodness in a real and tangible way. We weren't just learning about it, but we were doing it. You see, you and I have the opportunity to be God's kindness and goodness. You see, the Samaritan's religious life probably only made sense to him that day that he acted out of kindness and goodness. All the things that he learned, all the things that he was taught, finally clicked the day that he acted. Do you feel like you are alive? Do you feel that you are living? Who is your neighbor? As we close, my challenge to you is this. Think about that one person, that one person in your neighborhood, that one person in your workplace, or that one person in your community that you know that needs help somewhere or another. Maybe they're going through something. Maybe they need help in their house or they need help in, in whatever's going on. And bring that person up and go to your missional community. Go to your missional community and say, hey, I have this one person that I know. I need help. Help me love my neighbor. And have your missional community. Put together a plan of how you can help that person or reach that person because as a community, we can do that together. If you're not part of a missional community, find one and ask them to do it. Find a couple. You have the resources there available to you. Because your act of kindness and goodness may speak volumes more about the unconditional love of God than any sermon here on a Sunday can ever preach. In order for a person to experience life as Jesus has stated, begins by receiving Christ's kindness and goodness through the work on the cross. That is where life begins, but it is lived out and manifested through his kindness and goodness to others. Just like the Good Samaritan, just like Dr. Ken Franklin, just like our team that's going to Lynn, Massachusetts, that's going to be really hands-on, really going to do this. Just like our MCs that are here, that are, that are living this life here in the local communities. And just like Christ, who gave his life on the cross for us, being God's ultimate goodness and kindness. I'm going to invite the band to come up to start preparing for, for the youth. This is what you and I 
or decide to do? Who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Be the kindness and goodness of God. There might be some of you here today that, that, that may have never known God's kindness or goodness. And if that's you, we, we said that, that Jesus became God's goodness and kindness by giving his life for us on the cross. And if you want to make a step of faith and decision to do that, we invite you to come up and, and take a piece of this, this body, that's the bread, and dip it in the cup, the wine, his blood, and take it and eat and say, Jesus, I accept your kindness and goodness. Maybe you're someone here that, that has been walking with Jesus for a long time and you're already living this life day in and day out. Well, then let this be a reminder to us that Jesus gave us his kindness and goodness so that we can be his kindness and goodness out to others. Maybe you're here today and, and, and you've never made a decision of faith. We thank you for coming. We just want to welcome you to just remain at your seats and think about some of the thoughts and things that we shared about today. So all who follow Christ, come forward to receive his body and his blood.